Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the wash the ter- giving ourselves the opportunity, David, to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. My name is Joe Hilliard. I'm here with you every week alongside Dave Gurney. And we've been rotating some third chair guests recently, but tonight it's just you and I, and I welcome this because we are going to be discussing two films that, David, if I had to put money up, are both going to be nominated for Best Picture of the Year in just a month or so. They're already getting the accolades, right? Yeah. We, we just, uh, we've passed through the, you know, somewhat controversial in terms of whether or not people want to pay attention to it anymore, Golden Globes, yeah. and, uh, you know, both of these films got some love, received some s- significant awards, especially in the acting area, I think, noteworthy. Um, So I'm excited to talk about them. And there's certainly films that are, you know, popping up on lots of year end lists and are being buzzed about for awards. Um, We need to get something in our glasses before we get any further. We do. We're going to open a beer, talk a little bit about it, talk about a movie, talk about the beer again. And then we're going to repeat ourselves in case you're kind of new to the show. Beer in a movie makes sense. This is the uh, Ale Smith Speedway Stout. Now, don't be confused. This is not their base Speedway Stout that we did just about a year ago in episode 176. This is their Speedway Stout, but they've added some nice things to it. Madagascar Vanilla and help me with this. C-E-Y-L-O-N. Ceylon? Huh. Yeah. Ceylon Alba Cinnamon. Okay. Special release, they call it. A generous amount of Madagascar vanilla beans, along with just the right amount of that cinnamon, provides this beer with a delicate sweetness and subtle spiciness. It's clocking in, David, at, I want to say 12%. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Yeah, um, shared with us again. I feel like this is a, a, a recurring motif on the past few episodes. We did. We were gifted some some lovely beers from our good friend and loyal listener, Daniel Benavides, and so it's exciting whenever he puts something like this uh, on our docket uh, for us to be able to get to it. And, uh, you know, I see Joe pouring it. It's dark as midnight. Yeah. Um, th- this is a dark beer. And we felt like that was probably the best we could do tie-in-wise yeah. for our first film up this week. Um, he, you know, it, it takes place largely in Berlin and New York, and I even tried to think about maybe some Berlin beers. That would have been a that would have Berliner been nice, Weiss, yeah. but, uh, but I think the darkness here for a movie called Tar sure. will work. Um, are you getting some notes of uh, chocolate roast? I see you going in. I'm, I'm getting a lovely aroma on the you're nose. you getting the va- vanilla? Yeah, vanilla, even some cinnamon. Mm, I can't wait to taste nice. this, and I really can't wait to taste. I can't wait to taste this movie, David. <laughs> <laughs> to talk it's, about to, this movie, to sink your teeth into it. Yeah. Um, I watched it a couple weeks ago, and I've been looking forward to tonight ever since I saw it. Yeah, you you've been anxious, and I understand why. Now that I, I have actually gotten around to seeing it. it, it it took me until closer to recording to to actually get it in. Um, but for those who haven't already um, sought this film out or heard people talking about it, just in a nutshell, what we have here is. Um, a film directed and written by Todd Field, a filmmaker who has sort of been absent from the scene after coming on in the 2000s with a couple heavy-hitting kind of awards, yeah. uh, attracting dramas uh, in the bedroom and little children that, you know, I think w- were largely critically praised. Big time. Yeah. In the bedroom got a lot of awards attention. Although I prefer Little Children of yeah. those two, that's my favorite. It's a troubling, of those two. I mean, both are troubling movies. Yeah, they're very dark. Yeah. They're 
very gets a lot of dark elements. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, coming back, I guess, what is it like about 15 years yeah. later, finally, um, with a new project with Kate Blanchett, everybody's favorite living actress, I think at this point, <laughs> I, she's right up there, right? Um, it, I'm sold. Yeah. And and this is a film that definitely uh, is built around her, right? It's, it's all about this title character, uh, Lydia Tarr, who is a world famous and highly accomplished, highly accomplished uh, conductor. She is the resident conductor for the Berlin Philharmonic, right? Am I, am yeah. I getting that right? Um, and when we sort of uh, join her with the beginning of this film, she is preparing for the recording of a live uh, performance of Mahler's Fifth Symphony. Right. And we're seeing kind of the goings-ons in the build-up to this recording event, uh, what's going on in her professional and personal life, how those things kind of cross over, and ultimately um, a price that she has to pay for some, well, you know, we can talk about what, what uh, she's guilty of or not maybe, but things that at least in the public eye um, are unacceptable and cause her to lose her status. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of a tragedy in, in a sense, a fall from grace story, um, a character study. I've seen a lot of people describe this as, and I definitely think that's an accurate Without a doubt. term to apply to this, right? Yeah, it's a art versus the artist. It seems to be a central theme that not only is physically discussed in a landmark scene that I know we'll discuss in a second, uh, dismissing the art that an artist creates because one disagrees with some of or all of that artist's behavior. And in the film world, there is no shortage of these characters and they come up from time to time. Woody Allen a lot. We, we, sure. don't, we, don't, we never, we never broach the subject. Well, I guess maybe we've moderately broached the subject, but typically it's me that says, don't know how you feel about them, but this and this is a great movie. Yeah. And as I'll, often quip and I'll do it again here but I don't know what we were thinking about Manhattan but anyway um, uh, Roman Polanski mm-hmm. um, and without getting into their Harvey Weinstein and I, lots Kevin of names Spacey. absolutely and in the world of art in general certainly in film I, kn- I know it must exist and it does they even name some people in this film because Tar is a fictional character sure. and and for, from as much as I can tell is not really too closely aligned with any specific real world Something figure based on a figure. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but that said, they do name some, I think Jimmy Levine's name gets brought up. There's another that who, who get kind of in, in a conversation she has with her mentor there, the right. former, uh, Philharmonic conductor that, uh, you know, the, saying like, I didn't go out like that when it, when he thinks maybe there might be a threat to him, it's, it's kind of a passing thing, but so it's happening in that world. It's happening in all the worlds of kind of yeah. popular entertainment and art, um, even high art. When I rented this film uh, at home, uh, you know how you'll get 48 hours to watch a movie? I uh, watched it with uh, my daughter and Aislinn. My daughter lasted about 40 minutes and then politely asked if she could, <laughs> like, is this required viewing? I was like, no, you can leave whenever you want to. Then the next day, she asked me, well, how was it? You know, what did I miss? And I was like, that was, that was pretty good. Then I went to the office, and I uh, Googled, uh, or YouTubed, rather, Tar, and I sent you a video. And I didn't did, realize which that I you still haven't watched. Yeah. I didn't realize you hadn't seen it yet, but the, the, the thumbnail on the video was the uh, anatomy of a brilliant scene yeah, or yeah. something like that from Tar. And I watched that analysis, and I had a light bulb moment. 
where I was like, holy shit, this is one of those, Joe, that's going to take you, Joe, two viewings to really soak it all in. And I immediately began watching it again while I had it for that 48 hours. Yeah. And then I immediately texted my son and said, log into my Amazon and watch this movie. Yeah, Cause yeah. he, he and I like to, you know, talk movies. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll have him on the show sometime. Uh, if you're, oh, if you're game, he's game. I yeah. think it's really finding the perfect pairing right, right. for him to come on. Um, the Batman would have been it, but anyway, so David, uh, this is a modern masterpiece. This movie is a modern wow. masterpiece. I, I got that feeling when you said that you had, cause you had shared with me that you were compelled within your yeah. 48 hour rental window yep. to watch it. And this is almost a four, I mean, sorry, almost a three hour film. Yeah. I mean, it's like over two and a half hours. In it, 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 this is a movie to be taught in film school. Uh, this is a movie that really does I think and hopefully we might get into it if not here then in after hours patreon.com slash beard movie podcast five dollars a month get you a free episode and all kinds of sneak previews right. of, of the patreon of cinema versus movies mm -hmm. you know to mm -hmm. me because because Martin Scorsese has a two-part kind of thing going on right now. <laughs> he made that comment about how Marvel oh, films are back. not yep. cinema right. but are rather roller coaster rides at the movie theater yeah and People take offense. People agree. But then more recently, he said, I have seen that cinema still exists, and it is because I watched Tar. And I began thinking about that. Martin Scorsese he's not the guy that makes all opinions about film. I, I respect him very much. But he's got a very important opinion sure. because of what he's been able to achieve. We respect no doubt. what he can do with the medium. He's, so a, if he, he's a guy I'm going to listen to. Yes. And I began thinking about what he's saying, and I guess it comes down to... What the film, what responsibility the filmmaker is putting onto the audience in order to engage with the film, right. and I think accurately, if that's going to be the definition of cinema, is that or or have, maybe I haven't fully fledged out the definition, but if that requirement is there, then then Scorsese could be right. You go to your Marvel, you go to your uh, DC. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. N not with much requirement on you except to just sit back and enjoy the ride. Well, there's going to be there's very... nothing wrong with that. There's going to be very predictable beats. You're going to have certain moments where, you know, that we become aware of the threat yeah. and its shape. We seem like we're going to be able to overcome it. It doesn't... You know, it, it, there's a very predictable kind of narrative pattern that emerges in most of those films that kind of do the big numbers and, you know, Avatar and, the, you know, yeah. the stuff that we're talking about. And there's a time and place for it. You know, we people who listen to the podcast know that we're not t totally summarily dismissive of this stuff. I mean, we had fairly positive sure. things to say about Avatar too. Yeah. Um, we, we've had some positive things to say about some of the MCU stuff that we've covered. But we too, you know, we don't want that all the time. And I think most people, if they're honest with themselves, if they, <laughs> yeah. if they spend enough time at the movies, are going to find that they want to vary their diet, right? They don't want the same exactly exact right. thing. Exactly and right. this is a much different kind of entree, right? I mean, like th this is, if we're thinking about, you know, um, going to the cinema as akin to like going out to eat, right? There are those times where you talk to your you know significant other, your friends, whatever, and like you know let, let's just get burgers and let's go get pub food tonight. Mm -hmm. Let's get something that's easy and like everybody's gonna be happy. And we'll I just love chicken wings, pickle fries, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're just gonna have like the junk food f fun. You know, whatever. And, that, and there are times when that's totally appropriate. Sometimes you want to go to the Hawthorne. <laughs> that's right. Sometimes you want to go to the exclusive island restaurant. That's right. But, but there's the gamut, right? I mean, and Depending on and tar is definitely I think I've seen this term thrown around and I think it's totally pro it's an adult 
adult in a sense of mature and not in the mature. <laughs> I keep saying that these are th these are uh, euphemisms that we use for for pornography, and you know, but that's not what I'm saying. It's a mature, thoughtful analysis of a character, unlike anything we really usually see depicted on screen. I mean, this is a rare character even in the world of this film, that this woman, yeah. she's a glass ceiling breaker, right? Yeah. She's the first con female conductor uh -huh. of the Berlin uh, Philharmonic. She, she's in the EGOT club. She's right. She has uh, conducted in the... And I, and it, it, you don't need to know right. a lot about conducting to enjoy the movie, but the film is going to present this world and you are to follow along with, yeah, the film knows what it's talking about. So, I, I, I mean... But she's, she's done the, the top five... I guess, I guess there are a top five... Uh, yes, big five. The, in the big US, five, right? The uh, Boston, New York, different Philharmonics, yeah, and yeah. she has guest conducted uh, all of them. Right. So, she, so this is a person that we're presented with in this extended first scene. As a, in a, a what a beautiful way to open up the film. A I mean, fantastic I, way to get all the exposition and that you need to get this thing going. And and you know, while on one on the one hand, as it was happening, there's part of me that's like, oh, how convenient. But it's really perfect because it establishes her profile. She is this kind of rare figure within the world of uh, classical music that does have this kind of, you know, public stardom that I think very few do. I mean, she is akin and he gets referenced a lot in in terms of being somebody who she aspired to be like Leonard Bernstein, right. like this very public figure who brings this kind of high culture world to the masses to some degree. And in that, you know, it's noteworthy all these accomplishments sure. that she's had. And she's collaborated with newer composers or had, you know, commissioned them to, to write certain pieces. So it's a very, it's a heady film on many levels. It brings you into a world that most of us are not very experienced. Like I, like you said, Joe, I don't know the world of classical music. I can't say and, that I've heard of Mahler <laughs> prior to this now I had, um, and I, I did take a music appreciation course, a, a serious one in, in college, and that helps somewhat. Like I have some awareness of the past and some of the composers that were important in certain periods. But even that, I don't have the understanding of how these orchestras operate, who gets to choose what, and obviously the conductor has a big role. But, and, but that the conductor is more than just a guy in a suit or a girl in a suit waving a stick around. Right. Like the film does go into her opinion anyway, the character's opinion on what, the conductor is there to do, which right. is to um, interpret somewhat the the piece. Bum, 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 bum. We've all heard that. Yeah. But a different conductor might interpret and make this section of the orchestra do something a little differently than the time yeah. that I heard that same piece yeah. in a different orchestra. There's there's an arrangement element to what sure. they do. There's yeah. So it, it was fascinating from that standpoint if you can go with it. But I can see. I think for a lot of people, I just to recount my experience watching yeah. this. Right. Like. I went into it with high hopes because I, I like Kate Blanchett a lot. It's um, getting a lot of hype. It's getting a lot of hype. Todd Field, his prior two films, I was impressed by. I enjoyed those back in the, you know, the, you know, 15, 20 years ago when they were coming out. Happy to hear that he was doing something again for the big screen. So there was lots to be excited about. And I will I will admit, like, I found the pacing and tone of the film after we get out of that opening sequence, which is the interview there that's going on live on stage where she reveals, you know, we get to hear about all her accomplishments from the interview where Adam Gopnik um, and then her going into her own, you know, kind of philosophies on various parts of what she's involved sure. with. And, but then we, it gets kind of dry and there's kind of almost a, 
don't want to say clinical manner about it, but it's very matter of fact and it's very much just observing. You know, it's like observing these little moments in her, the humdrum, the day to day of being a conductor. There's something wonderful about that. And that, I mean, coming out of it, I end up feeling like I got this, you know, ability to be like the fly on the wall in this rarefied world that I don't have access to and that I'll probably never be mm -hmm. a, a big part of. And, and I can't wait to have some conversations. It would have been a great um, opportunity had I thought about it to bring in like my colleagues at the university who are music uh, folks, oh, hell yeah. you know, like I yeah. just love to hear how much they feel like this represents what that sort of top tier if they highly, got it right. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, the inner workings was that the politics of because this is a film that's very much about the politics of powerful position, this kind of realm. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. like whatever it is, whether we're talking about film or, or uh, music, classical music or, you know, it could be visual art, whatever. There's always going to be this kind of internal politic, po political system where certain people are at the top of that pyramid. Right. And in this case, Tar, as the movie begins, is seems to be at the absolute apex. She is. Completely untouchable, right? She's done all these wonderful groundbreaking things. And she's still producing things that people want to pay their money to go see. Absolutely. And, and, is, and is still this very relevant cultural figure. As the film goes on, we find out eventually. It's And, it, and I love how it gets rolled out. It it's is. very... Like I said, it tricks you into feeling like almost nothing is going on. That's how I felt. Like uh -huh. the, the, I would say like f from like maybe 15 minutes into the film until almost like an hour and a half into the film, I, I, I'm in this limbo where I feel like, oh, maybe this is just kind of like a day in the life, yeah. like slice of life docudrama kind of thing. Because Todd Fields is not giving you all of the information. No. It's, He's giving it's, you little pieces of information and that getting back to what I was started saying at the beginning the role of cinema requires a level of um, of investment by the audience member. You're right, you're right. And intellect, not you have to be smart, but you have to use your intellect. Yeah. And I think Scorsese, all he was saying at the beginning, uh, at the, at the, for the first part, yeah, his yeah, two-part yeah. thing was, they're movies that don't require you to use your intellect. They're going to take you along no matter what. Or as, you're going to jump in the seat. Yeah. The car is going to move. You're, it's amusement park ride. I get what he's saying. Or like these our, are very easy things to slip into. As our glorious ex-co-host Carlos used to say, you smooth brain these. Yeah. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. There is a place for that. And some of the most valuable entertainment that I've ever experienced on the big screen is that. Sure. But this. Yeah. This is different. This is, you have to buy in. I, I agree wholeheartedly, Joe. And I think that's where I feel like, you know, looking at how this film is done, right? This played for a couple weeks here in town. Uh -huh. um, sadly, at the theater at, we do not go to. <laughs> at the theater that we've pretty much decided we're not willing to to abide anymore just because it's an inferior viewing yeah. experience. And, and we come away maybe not even getting to see the film because the sound system goes out. Anyway. It's South Texas. I need air conditioning. But, but that wasn't all that rare because this film did show limitedly theatrically, but it did not do great business. Not at all. Um, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with this is not the kind of film that a lot of people are going to consider to be the idea of like the payoff to a long hard work week going to the cinema and being sort of like razzle dazzled. It's not yeah. that experience. Right. What it is, it's one that's going to force you to engage intellectually and, you know, to whatever degree. <laughs> 
I, at the very least intellectually, I was going to question whether or not emotionally. I think there's emotion involved in this film, but I, I actually do want to talk about like how uh, how you've ended up feeling about this because there is this. I said earlier, like almost like a coldly clinical nature. Yeah to the way that this is all shown. We because don't... she is coldly clinical. Tar is coldly right. clinical. We, now, we do ultimately build to a scene that is somewhat of an outburst of emotion. Which which is because she has lost her ability to play the power play. She's been pushed out. Of yeah. being the coldly clinical, detached person. Mm-hmm. Um, we see along the way her sociopathic behavior, like like elements of sociopathic behavior. I am no psychologist. Where are you, Anthony? To <laughs> to uh, to diagnose her. Yeah. But she is highly manipulative. Yeah. To get what she wants. Right. And what we learn that she wants throughout the uh, play, uh, play the film, is relationships with. Um, inferior in the political system right. female uh females yeah 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 um and she will and and then we learn through just like half of a conversation here and there that the entire orchestra knows that you're doing this the entire orchestra knows that you are going to give that woman the part right because you're paying her back for some kind of favor that she gave you probably sexual and or at least courting that wa- sure. wanting that correct yeah. or yeah. yeah right exactly hey you know if you want right. yeah anyway yeah so um we, we find out she's doing that yeah. we find out that at home with her wife who we learn later knows of these affairs yeah. or 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 interlopes that and she, that she had clearly at a certain point kind of done a version of that with her you know what i mean like that, that yeah she had found her and kind of pulled her in and th- she was a little bit closer to her level at the time, but then right. obviously ascended. Yeah. She is on medication for some kind of uh, yeah. uh, heart uh, issue. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but no, but Tar is taking that medication, like taking mm. the medication. Yeah. So I figured it was for, um, I, I figured I, I thought assumed if they say heart, I missed that on the two viewings. Well, she said it's her heart when, when she walked in. I thought it was anxiety. It, yeah, I, I thought I it was anti-anxiety it be, or like a, some kind of mental yeah. health medication, but she has stolen yeah. her wife's medication. When she gets back home from the trip where she's been taking this medication, the she sees her wife in a full-blown, like you say, yeah, pa- panic, panic attack, yeah, yeah. and she goes and fakes. Well, I found a pill. I found a loose pill in the pill drawer. In yeah. the drawer. Yeah. She's controlling aspects of their home she's controlling every piece of the orchestra well, she, yeah you're right i mean you, you use the term manipulative and mm-hmm. that's just really we see again and again although it kind of happens in these small ways subtle, you know subtle conversations where she is totally turning the conversation back around to exactly where she wants it it's yeah. masterful script writing yeah yeah it is no it's and she i mean this character and kate blanchett's sort of you know uh bringing that character to life it comes across totally convincingly, right? I mean, like she just seems like this absolute um, highest achieving, like able to kind of manipulate her environment to do to bend it to her will in any case. But you're right. What we become aware of as the film goes on, it almost has like a mystery element to it and that you start to get these little like hints that like, okay, something's up. And why is she so concerned about these emails? And like, oh, wait, look at she's these emails. She's having whisper and he, nightmares. And yes. she, she's, she's hearing voices and... Uh, th- there's a uh, a figure from her past, uh, one of these women that, wi- she, yeah. that she 
was courting yes. or, or providing favors for Krista yeah. that she completely then begins uh, when, when the, I guess when the relationship ends, she cuts her out, but not, yeah. only, not only cuts her out, but ruins her ability through her influence in this world yeah. for her to get a job. Yeah. And we see flashes of some of those emails that yeah. she's sending. Like she's toxic. She's but a, she's getting know, gifts in the mail a danger. from her. Yeah. She's getting the indication that the girl might have been in her apartment, which I believe was a figment of her imagination. Yeah, I don't through know a how doodle to read that, that the, yeah. I assume the girl must have doodled while they were in a relationship together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. But it, nothing's explained. It's just halfway. <laughs> it's just halfway pieces of information given to you as right. the film goes on. Well, and and eventually, you know, enough information gets shared, True. and that, and then. You know, again, spoilers, folks. Um, when it fully comes out there that you know, in her assistant, um, the Francesca, right, played by Nomi uh, Merlant, yeah, uh, who who I think does a really good job yeah. of this because she's another one. I mean, this what you see is Tar has sort of surrounded herself. She finds these young women. I mean, she is a lesbian and married to a woman. She finds these young women who she's presumably with, with Francesca at some point sexually attracted to interested in in that way also that them having some form of talent that, uh -huh. that could be useful to her or that, and she brings them in she puts them into her orbit she maybe puts them into this program that she helps uh, you know sponsor and fund and, and, and uh, she makes promises of promotions right and but we see with her assistant right that the relationship there is is one that's going cold it's one that we see is nearing its end. And even though the assistant, Francesca, thinks like it's going to be able to move into something else, it doesn't. But she's the one who delivers the message that Krista, this other former protege kind of, you know, woman who had been in her orbit, younger woman, has committed suicide. And we've seen all these emails and we see that, OK, she's the one who's been causing this great emotional and mental distress for Krista, you know, that Tar has been causing that. And it all kind of comes together. And then when she totally cold shoulders Francesca passes her over for that you know opportunity to become her assistant essentially a more formal assistant conductor uh, with the symphony then we see Francesca you know spilling those beans to to the world right, right? The, the, you know leaking those emails right um, that Tar was pretty desperate to have you know taken out although beautifully played because she doesn't like panically say like we need to delete all those She's like Get rid of that. We don't need the intrigue. You know, just very cold, yeah. very calm, like a foregone conclusion. Of course, you'll get rid of these things. There's no question that, uh, you know, we don't need to be Well, she even says that is the right thing to do, don't you think? Yeah. And, like forcing her subordinate to say yes, but she doesn't delete the emails. Right, right. So, you, you know, and that, and that ultimately has her world crumble. But you see that there is this very well-established pattern in mm -hmm. this character's life where she finds people... Need, need something from them, want something from that, the attention, the the romance, the intimacy, the sex. We, we, but we don't really ever see that. No. Right? We don't see her entering. We see her flirting with it in the sense with that cellist who she's bringing in, um, who, uh, the Olga, right? Right. Who, who is, is being brought in and sort of courted. And you get the sense like it's leading there. But it's cut off because <laughs> this other stuff goes public before that fully comes to fruition. So you know, you never even get full-on confirmation, but it seems very clear sure. from all that you see. Yeah. And then ultimately, once the emails do come out and you know what she is publicly charged with is that she has used her position to sort of manipulate people and to uh, you know bend them to her will. 
The scene that that YouTube video talks about is one I'd like to spend a couple minutes on. Sure. It is a single shot at when Lydia is at Juilliard teaching a master class in composing to a group of students. Right. And she gets into a confrontation with one of the students who basically pisses her off by saying, I don't listen to Bach because as a and I don't remember how he described himself yeah but as uh, basically I'm, I'm not gonna he says a BIPOC yeah yeah black indigenous uh, person of color yeah I'm not going to dig on Bach who we've learned as we've gotten to know him in history um, I guess had sired many many women I'm sorry many many children with uh-huh. several women uh-huh. kind of um, very patriarchal uh he Power grabbing figure. Yeah, he uses the term misogynist. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And Lydia and him have a seven, nine minute dialogue mm-hmm. where she's trying to convince him of the folly of that thought, in her opinion. Yeah. While, of course, we as the audience are learning that she's up to no good herself. So maybe she's... <laughs> well, but we don't... Like, that That comes early enough that we don't really right. have any... But I, I hear what you're saying. It sets the stage... And it puts this whole downfall of hers into a certain context, I think, much more clearly than it would be. I mean, I think we'd already read that into it. But the fact that we're seeing her very stake out this very specific position on the idea of we don't discard great art on the basis of, you know, aspects of somebody's identity that we we don't, you know, fully like, you know. And and in her argument, she points it back to the guy Uh that's making these claims against Bach and says... That's all well and good, mm-hmm. but I'm assuming that you're going to excel in this. You're here at the finest, one of the finest music schools in the country. Yeah. You're intending on getting an education to be able to do exactly what Bach did. And when you write your masterpiece, by what metrics do you want your work judged by? Yeah. The value of the music or the fact that you did this or that and made these right moves? Yeah. But it's more cutting and it's more to the quick to this young man who calls her a fucking bitch and walks out of the class. <laughs> yeah. And you're a, and you're a robot, she says. Back yeah, a robot controlled by social media. Yeah. In an audio platform such as this, it's difficult to point out the um v- the use of symmetry in the shots and the use of this one take tracking shot mm-hmm. going up and down stairs. It's very smooth. In a very yeah. closed room. Yeah. With everything perfectly in frame the entire time, how many takes did they do? I do not know the answer to that. But you know, Blanchett probably nailed it every one. (laughs) And the movement, I mean, it really is. She's got these little ticks that should happen when she gets nervous throughout the before performances. She's got the, she learned piano for the role. She learned German for the role, conversational German minimally for the role. It is a tour de force performance that is, in my opinion, worth every accolade. Will it win the Joe Hilliard Bammy uh, for best performance of the year? I don't know, but it certainly tune seems in like, soon. Yeah, it seems like it's in the running. I, you it, know, is. It, it is. I mean, it's. It, it would be impossible for me to say that this is anything less than a you know award caliber performance. Yeah. That, not that I think we should judge everything that way, but it just is. I mean, it's it's a bravura performance where. You know, everything that you've loved about Kate Blanchett and so many of her roles throughout the years, it feels like she gets to tap into here. Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of the film, she is canceled. Yeah. I mean, so going back to what you were saying, I don't want to because I feel like we might move on here. Okay. You know, that scene, I think it was a really I mean, I think it's a brilliant scene, certainly from a style standpoint. 
but also yeah, a technical standpoint. Yeah, also from a plunging us into this conversation in a way that I think is going to force most people who see this film to really think like you said this is one that you're probably going to want to see multiple times you already have seen it twice mm -hmm. I feel like I'll probably want to watch this again at some point and part of that is because you encounter that scene before you know much about her yeah. and you're really learning about her and this statement that she's making the argument that she's putting forward to Max the young student who she's you know kind of saying well like let's not disregard the masters yeah. let's not that you, there's there is legitimacy to it I think there's a point that's worth making there and, and we've talked about this in, in various ways I think um, I don't necessarily love the way she's delivering it the whole time. And I don't love the way that she's not engaging with the material of what it is that's driving him to feel the way that he is. Like, there is a problem, I think, with the classical music canon being, because of the way conditions were, keeping anybody other than cis white male people, you know, mm -hmm. I don't, there are systemic issues that would perhaps, I think, be good uh, reasons for an argument to be made to say like look for a while wouldn't it be good if maybe some young people focused more on contemporary composers of different backgrounds um, you know again not maybe to the total um, disinclusion of Bach and, and other masters but maybe we should find a way to tilt the scales and maybe that's you know there's a conversation to be had there she's kind of dismissive of it in, in, in a very stock way but one that a very I think, controlling cold calculating way <laughs> yes yeah. but in a way that i think most of the audience can probably go along with on some level because he's not making you know zero point there it's not mm -hmm. you know so i think you kind of but then when you see what plays out and how she and her own in her own life is kind of operating you realize that this idea that she has of like we can separate the art from the artist is actually impossible because her her toxicity doesn't just impact her personal life. I mean, it is about her personal life in some ways, but it's very much about everybody around her, her That's collaborators, right. yeah. how she treats people and all that. And stuff. And what they're willing to put up with yeah. because she's the one currently in power. So I think there is this kind of, you know, I, I know a lot of people have come away from this film feeling like it's anti-cancel culture and it's anti, and, and, I, and this, and I think it, I think I don't on, think it makes a side. I, I, think I don't think it does either. I think you're right. I think it is trying to force us to look at it from a few different perspectives over the course of the film. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's asking the question, not delivering a pat answer about it, yeah. right? Um, do we feel bad that she's canceled at the end? Personally, I don't. I was that, And that's where I was going earlier with the emotion thing. I was surprised, as much as I respect this film, as much as I love it, as much as I love Kate Blanchett, as much as I found it to be a very effective performance. I felt really no true emotional connection with almost any of the characters, even her victims, because we don't really develop them in a way that would Correct. allow for that, right? We're developing her character. Or they're off screen. And I mean, I, I guess I come away disliking her. I don't absolutely hate her though in a, in a certain way because she is, it seems incredibly talented and she does have vision and she is able to do things that other people, and you, and you see evidence of that, you know what I mean? In the work that she does with the orchestras and in the accolades that she has. Um, so you don't ultimately feel, or I don't ultimately feel like, you know, terribly upset that she ends up where she does, but I'm also not necessarily celebrating it. And I really found that final, like that final sequence, her conducting this orchestra in the Philippines yeah. to an, audience of cosplayers mm -hmm. um, who I think it's the soundtrack for a video game a video I think game. is what they yeah. you know 
and, and they're all dressed up as the characters in this video game. And I just couldn't, you know, it's interesting. It's like, because she's been, yes, quote unquote canceled. She's doing this kind of what I would think in the world of conducting would be considered kind of a yeah, she's getting paid. low to mid-tier gig that like is just getting you some money or yeah. whatever. And it's not, but she's still taking it seriously. You know what I mean? She still seems because invested. She, because every bit of solace that she had throughout the entire film was in the music. She yeah. loved the music. Yeah, yeah. And she was talented enough to get to where she got. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it, well, and we, we, see, we see that. Yeah, I think, that, again, another thing that's done beautifully in this film is that it's not until almost the end that we get this one scene where she goes back to her childhood home. Yeah. And we see the environment she came out of. Her name isn't really Lydia Tar. It's what is it? Linda? Linda Tar. Two uh, R's. With two R's without the the accent over the right. A. You know, like, she rebuilt herself, which is not uncommon she, in show business. The, and the traffic's at home, very middle class, working class. Her brother, was that her brother probably? Yeah, I think had so. A, yeah. Had a real thick Southern accent, which she probably had and, you know, yeah, yeah. got herself out of right. in order to be among the New York and Berlin elite. Yeah, which is interesting, you know, because you feel like she's just a creature of this world mm -hmm. and that she's always known it and everything. But in that moment, you realize, no, she's made herself into it. Like, this is yeah. something that she has accorded. It's such a deeply layered um, character. And I think one that touches on some of these very contemporary discussions that we're having about art and artists and you know personal behaviors and identity and and i think it does so in, so, in some really fascinating ways i i like this film a lot yeah. I, I i do but i do think it's going to be one that by and large this is a you know a it's an adult film there it's a is film a lot to chew on in yeah. this film and I, when you watch it the second time and probably subsequent times you're going to discover just how intricate a puzzle that it is yeah and it's put together so so well um, supplementally, I would, we'll, we'll, let's, I'd like to post that, that yeah, YouTube yeah, yeah. video yeah. that I sent you on our Facebook page and Mark Marin, I'm sure you heard it, did a, his newest episode at the, haven't listened as yet. of the recording date okay. is with Todd Field. Oh, nice. And it wait. is, it is fantastic. And I, I did not curb one thing from it uh, <laughs> today. Very nice. Yeah. It's, it's very so happy, very happy that Tar exists. Yeah. And I'm happy that we got around to doing it and I'm, and I'm just, I was uh, thinking as I was watching it on my couch, boy, I wish I had gotten to see this in the theater. I think I would have enjoyed it even more. I traveled to always, Austin. Always feel that way. I traveled to Austin um, to take my daughter to a concert. And my daughter's here with us tonight. I'm going to try to drag her into after hours. Uh, <laughs> because I, I, I have told her that if I do drag her into hours after hours, I would like to hear the 17-year-old female version of her top three or four list of the year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... Um, uh, I went to go see the Banshees uh, of Inishirin with a friend. Yeah. And we'll be discussing that in a couple minutes. But Tar was playing. Yeah. And I had not fallen into the loop of Tar, meet, okay. like, you know, the yeah. how awesome it is that had right. not come into my life yet. I'm not disappointed that I didn't see it in the big screen yeah. and, and rather to see another film that we're yeah. about to talk about. But uh, you're right. I would like to have seen And you know what? I would like to, and I know I'd like to ask you a question about Skinkamarink. <laughs> yeah, you, at, we, yeah had, after we hours, had sure, and after yeah. hours we had yeah. a we had an offline conversation about it. You saw it in the theater, and I want you to repeat what you told me to the world. <laughs> but I went to go see Megan again with my daughter. Oh, nice! And we sat not gurney row, but <laughs> like maybe the next row back. Okay, and I've just. 
I have come fully back around to the idea that every single movie is going to be better when you see it on the big screen. Every yeah. single one. Yeah. And um, I'm glad that those theaters are open yeah. again. All right, I'm off on a weird tangent. No, 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 no. Get us they, back they, home, they, please. Again, it's it's not a spectacle film, and yet I think its images would would benefit. And I think again that that long take shot yeah. there, that scene that you're that you've highlighted and that you're going to be sharing. I think right there, seeing that kind of thing pulled off in that blown up way, yeah. it's just beautiful. Um, <laughs> as as dark as this movie gets in some of its themes and 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 some of this exploration of this character with some real you know deep flaws and and and, and issues um you know we went dark with our beer mm-hmm. and you know speedway stout the the base version that we've had before really impressed us back in Big you time. know around this time last year correct and here we are again revisiting it um with this sort of boosted version with the madagascar vanilla and the uh ceylon uh cinnamon I, you know, I will say I'm getting a little bit of the cinnamon, not a ton of the vanilla, but it is still a delicious, yeah. hefty, satisfying yeah. Imperial Stout. I mean, Alesmith Speedway Stout, I think, is known for being one of those reliable, longstanding options that, you know, you can get in a lot of places throughout this country. Um, but But a variation like this, I think, is nice where we kind of take something we know maybe pretty well but we bring a little something into it to just kind of tweak it i think it works pretty well yeah i don't know who invented doing that but we've talked about it recently with the um bourbon county brand yes Uh, getting a base beer yeah and it's so good and folks want to get their hands on it that we can now quadruple our profits by offering four different ways to drink it yeah i think that there are some breweries that get into a trap of that where the deficiency is that the base beer i wasn't even asking for this peach version of it yeah i mean you got to deliver the basics yeah. just to do it and i i do you're absolutely correct a year ago we gushed about the speedway stout all th- the three of us had had it before yeah but just the first time on the on the show this is fine yeah. This is a nice variation, and I bet that if it was another variation, I would pick it up as well. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's better or worse than the the, the beautiful, wonderful yeah. base beer. I looked it up. It's also 12%. There's nothing with these adjuncts that would change the ABV. Right, right. Um, I don't know what kind of review that is. I, I enjoyed this no, very, very yeah. much, but it's because we are dealing with something really, really great to begin with. Right, and I, and I think maybe the, the, you know, what I pull out of your review there is that Listen, if, if, if the Speedway Stout is around almost all the time, and if you get your hands on that, it's wonderful, it's great. If you love that, do you need to go out and seek this specific variant out? Maybe not. Maybe not. Because the, the original is going to be just as satisfying yeah, for you. you know? So, I, And I'm kind of there, too. Like I said, I get the cinnamon in there a little bit. It's Honestly, I could do with a little more. Like I like it kind of if sure. it gets to the point where it's almost like tingling and spicy mm-hmm. a little bit. If you're going to put it in there, do something feel with it. it. I don't feel like they get it there. I don't feel like I really get the the vanilla too strongly, so it ends up feeling a lot like, well, I'm having a speedway stout, and that's and that's fine and good, but I don't think reason to go yeah. especially seek this variation out. Agree. Yeah. Um, well, we we sought out one very big uh, award contending film uh, for the first half. Joe's already told you that we've sought out another one for the second half. I hope you'll stick around and join us for that discussion after the break. <laughs> 
We're back. All right. Um, I, you know, the award season this time of year, it's always, I mean, it, it's both a blessing and a curse. It's wonderful to have this kind of moment where you're soaking in all these films that even if you don't like them necessarily are at least trying to do certain things. And, and you know, sometimes you may feel like, oh, it's too on the nose, whatever. But but nonetheless, gives you a lot to mull over. Uh, I'm excited that we're, we're pairing a couple of those films this week. And, and you've already said, Joe, with Banshees, mm-hmm. um, that, that we're going to be, uh, you know, delving into another film that's very performance-driven, very, um, you know, well, in this case, location is, is, is a big deal. But, but nonetheless, the location here, it being set in Ireland, it really being an Irish film. We only have one choice. I felt like we needed to do something Irish, and we did a stout in the first half, an imperial stout. We're going to stick with that style. We're doing a stout here, um, but this is one that I had never had before. This is a beer out of Ireland. It says craft brewed in Ireland right there on the bottle. It is O'Hara's Irish Stout. Described on the bottle as a full-bodied, luxuriously smooth stout with a discernible roast bite. It's only 4.3%, so we're kind of we're stepping down from that 12. I mean, you think about it. This this one beer here is equal to, or I mean, we would need three of these right. to get to what we had yeah. with the Speedway in the first part. So this one, we're each going to have a full 12 ounces, I'm going to call it. We're going to have 11.2 ounces, David. Oh, there you go. Yes, th- those European bottles, right? Yep. <laughs> and of course, we're going to have an Irish stout. Yeah, uh, because uh, the film we're about to discuss, The Banshees of Inishirin, a large part of it takes place in the pub. We're on the island. They don't have much to do, so they meet up at the pub almost every single night. And would they be pouring themselves something similar to an O'Hara's Irish Stout? I'm going to say I hope so. <laughs> yeah. And it's black, and it's got that... I hate to compare this to Guinness, because it is, it, is, it is its own animal, but it's got that same color, that same light oh, it's beautiful. head. But yeah, nice tan head. I mean, this one isn't nitrogenated. It's not like your uh, Guinness drought yeah. uh, draft uh, pours that you get out of those cans. But uh, but beautiful nonetheless. And I'm getting the roastiness on the nose Big like time. I would want with a stout. That's a remarkably lower ABV. You wonder, is it going to be thin on the on the aroma? But no, this one is not. No. Well, I'm excited to be heading to the pub with one of my yeah. good friends here, uh, Joe Hilliard, to talk about this film. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Let's let's stay friends after this review is over. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I hope. Uh, written, directed, co-produced by Martin McDonough. Uh, it's set on the remote island off the west coast of Ireland in the 20s during the uh, Irish Civil War. Yeah. Uh, so while they are on the island and uh, the island remains war-free, uh, they can hear across the water and see the mainland. Yeah. They can hear bombs and guns from time to time throughout the film. The film stars Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson as two lifelong friends who find themselves at an impasse when one of them, the Brendan Gleeson character, uh, abruptly ends the friendship. And it happens just like that. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's close into the frame, uh, close to uh, beginning of the film. Colin Farrell's headed to the pub, as he does every night. Going to knock on his buddy's door, as he does every night, to say, let's go. And when he does, the guy just kind of blows him off. He goes down to the pub. When they finally catch up, Brendan Gleeson says, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Yeah. Why not? Because you're dull. And Colin Farrell, as I would, David, if you ever said these words to me, <laughs> would be like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> Wait a second. Right. What did I do? He even says, did I say something when I was drunk? Because yeah. if I did, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, you didn't say anything when you were drunk. I just don't want to be friends anymore. Yeah. 
And so sets off the film as Colin Farrell decides to tries to figure out why this is happening. Yeah. And Brendan Gleeson tries to explain it to him again and again and again. Um, Colin Farrell lives with his sister, who's played by uh, Carrie Condon, yeah. and they uh, they they live with a, a donkey, and Jenny, and Barry Keegan. Uh, like, there's not very many characters on the island, although we see some peripheral characters as the film goes right. along. But the main, you know, talk the person who has the most dialogue besides those three is Barry Keegan, who plays Dominic, who's kind of the village idiot. Mm-hmm. I hate to, you know, to to generalize but who also we learn later in the film is um living with his very abusive policeman father yeah and uh i'm sure we'll, we'll get into that i saw it twice the first in the theater well, as i said and then when it came available on streaming i said to aislinn you're gonna like this one and we watched it together and i was right she did yeah. um I'm going to let you go from here because I, okay. I, I'm curious to see where you take it because the film gets a little not only uh, s- sentimental and deep, but a little odd uh, with some choices that the Brendan Gleeson character, Colm, uh, that he makes some odd decisions in trying to enforce his choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's a, it's an interesting one. I So I, I didn't get to see this in the theater again, uh, you know, the, wish I had because it's a beautiful landscape um, you know where, where this was actually shot I, it was in Ireland I mean it isn't an island called Inishirin but it's it's a perfect yeah. spot for it um, you know just seeing these guys walk especially uh, Patrick the, the Colin Farrell character who we're, we're with most of the time in the film he's really our primary character um, you, you know we're aligned with him trying to understand what, what is what's driving Colm to not want to see him anymore, to, to spend time with him. Um, you know, seeing him wander around the island, you know, g- g- going to the pub, g- going to do his chores, what, you know, the, the things he's doing. He sells milk yeah. to the local grocery. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a, it's a beautiful set of sights. Um, this idyllic backdrop for this really dark kind of story that's playing out. I mean, I think, it's one of the things that McDonough is kind of known for, whether it be three billboards in Bruges, you know, whatever we're, yeah. um, that, you know, he, he has these kind of very placid surfaces at times, very matter of fact conversations between characters, but then these kind of bursts of violence and, and sort of, uh, extreme, you know, moments where these things kind of come to a head that are kind of bubbling under the surface, let's say. Right. And, you know, we certainly see that here in in this film in some ways that are kind of shocking. You know what I mean? I think as much as this is kind of a, a muted film in a lot of senses, there are those moments that, you know, again, uh, when Colm kind of gives him the ultimatum of like, look, I need you to stay away from me. Um, and I'm not, I'm not kidding around. Yeah. And, and if you're not going to do that, then the way that I'm going to show you how serious I am about this is I'm going to take off my own fingers and prevent his whole life being as a, a fiddle player. Yeah. Um, well, let me interrupt you. He says the reason why he, he eventually they do sit down because he can see that Colin Farrell's just not getting it. Right. And he, he, maybe he offers Colin Farrell a bit of an explanation. And of course he fucking does. They're best friends. <laughs> Brendan Gleeson's character presents this, not even midlife crisis, late life crisis in a very cruel manner. 
I require more solitude so that I can write music so that I can hopefully write something that people might remember because I'm not going to be remembered otherwise. Yeah. The power of the artist. Uh, and he, and he, and he references all these people you don't remember, yeah. but you remember Beethoven. I can't remember the figure that yeah, he uses. Yeah. So I'm going to write some music. He does it so cruelly that, of course, Colin Farrell is not acting inappropriately. Dude, bro. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's going on, man? Yeah, Are yeah. you having a problem? Do we need to talk about it? But I'm going to start cutting off my fingers one by one whenever you yeah. approach me, yeah. which will prevent me from doing the very thing that I'm trying to do. The movie is I'm, so got this weird twisted logic to it. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think in that this is where you know a lot of people talk about that it's it's not a surprise. I, I think to anybody who's who's paid even a little attention, how this is, you know, given the backdrop, is very much intended as sort of a metaphor for the the internal politics of Ireland and 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 the way that the country has been sort of fractured in various ways over yeah. the years and people who are neighbors i mean we saw the movie belfast we did. you know we, we talked about it like th that catholics versus protestant civil war yeah th this is I, I can't imagine yeah it, th that you have people who are neighbors friends um you know maybe even related who just because some kind of political wind shifts or or, or, or some new idea arises it, it becomes they become mortal enemies and it is like this kind of switch goes off at times. I have to imagine not having lived through that situation. You know what I mean? Just seeing it depicted. Um, it has to feel this abrupt and strange. Well, the last two elections, but go ahead. <laughs> I, luckily, I haven't had too many close people to me where, you know what I mean? I'm just, I haven't experienced that, but I, I know you're right. I know many people have, and, and many people in our own country have felt that kind of sure. shift happen. Um, but it is, and it, and it really just kind of, like, from an outside perspective, from an objective standpoint, it almost never makes sense. It's like, look, what happened today that these two people who could have pints at the pub and throw darts and, and, and listen, listen to some music bullshit and bullshit all of the time. on this remote island where it's like, what are your other social options? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what what happens that the next day suddenly that's unpalatable and that's just something that can't even be entertained while he continues to have relationships and speak to every single other person right, at the pub right and while he's speaking to you're the you're the jilted mm -hmm. you're colin farrell watching him speak yeah. to the police officer who the whole town knows the whole island knows is one of the worst people in the world right you'll talk to him you'll be cordial to yeah, him yeah yeah but you can't even talk to me. Well, and then, but then on the other hand, you you know, through through a lot of the film, I'm sitting there thinking, well, what, you know, I get that they've had this long relationship and why he would be hooked on it. But at a certain point, you're just feeling like, is there not a right that we have as individuals to say, I no longer want to be connected to you, right? Like I, we had this relationship before. Does it require more than just simply saying, I am no longer invested in this i mean it's like when a marriage dissolves and, it, and it, that's why it often is so acrimonious that somebody makes that decision before the other person does and there and there's this you know this tension that's going to arise but shouldn't there be the the right of all of us as individuals to say who it is that we're going to maintain sure. and, and carry on relationships i, I, I can't I argue with that but i'm just getting back to what you just no, said I there's nobody else on the goddamn island I, to I, hang out with so it's, what's it's, the thing i mean i struggle with that myself and honestly if i was in Patrick's uh, shoes, 
I think I would be reacting somewhat similarly to how he reacts. I think I would have pulled back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would have pushed it quite as okay. far. I, that's, that's what I say. It's weird. He says, look, bro, if you're not going to uh, leave me alone, then I've got to let you understand the gravity. I'm going to cut off a finger. Yeah. If you don't leave me alone. Right. He doesn't leave him alone. Right. The dude cuts off a finger. <laughs> And throws it up against the front door and walks off. Yeah. Colin Farrell opens the door, looks down. There's a goddamn finger. Yeah. And he's watching his buddy walk off. He is serious. (laughs) Enter the sister. Yeah. Because the sister's like, okay, wait a second. This has gone too far. I mean, the acting in this movie is incredible. Yeah. The the mise-en-scene is just incredible. The story, as much as I'm... Clearly frustrated by like yeah. the actions here, and and it just doesn't make sense. He goes off to cut off all of the fingers on that one hand. Ugh. Even Wait, after that, he... that shot, I, I, I mean, it, where where his dog? So Colm, you know, uh, uh, Patrick, uh, the Colin Farrell character has Jenny the donkey, you know, his, his, as his kind of like closest companion animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but Colm has a dog. And when the dog pulls the shears and sort of tries to pull them away from him yeah. when he sees what he's going for, oh, that was right. such a so good. wonderful little moment yeah. there where it's like, oh. And then you start, and then after all of this is going on, you begin to see some of the politics in the, in the, in the, in the, on the island. Yeah. Um, Dominic, the uh, town village idiot, I call yeah, him, character, yeah. gets beaten so badly that he comes to stay for a night or two with the brother and sister. And it's just these beautiful conversations that you have to assume the director and writer put so much research into making them as authentic as possible and time period specific as possible. It's just, this movie is so gorgeous. And I guess after seeing it twice, I'm still struggling with the point of it all. Now, if you're saying that it's a, um, metaphor for kind of these Irish civil war at the time and some that we would even see later in history, then okay. Because now Colin Farrell's like, Quit cutting off your fingers. I'm just going to burn your house down. Yeah. And if you're in the house, you're going to, you're going to die. Right. And he does it. Yeah. Now, Brendan Gleeson doesn't die, uh, in that fire. But, um, at the same time, the sister who has been kind of a moral, uh, not a moral, let me, let me take that back. A, um, no, like a, a, an, an anchor for him, for yeah, Colin yeah. Farrell's yeah. character. Uh, needs to get off of this island where there's just this <laughs> this is the entertainment yeah and leaves yeah uh, there's color metaphors throughout the film red and yellow the the, the color of the door the color of her outfits the her jackets there's um tragedy with the dominic character toward the end of the film as it just seems like this island is a place where there is no common sense and judgment it an, another um, amazing, beautiful film right here at the end of 2022 into yeah. the beginning of 2023. Well, we, our, our riches run over yeah, at this time I, of year. I mean, this is like Tar. This is a film that ha- that opens up a lot and asks a lot of questions without giving you pat answers on mm-hmm. those questions, right? Like, it, like, like you were saying, Joe, you get somewhere with this, right? I mean, we see these two men. We, we see this attempt— um, we even see a, a glimmer of hope where it seems like maybe the relationship could be mended. Um, but then the the admission on the part of Padrick that um, he he sort of played this little game and and sent away a musician who would come to study with Colm yeah. essentially and you know like and that that puts us right back on the path, you know, like that which 
you know, feels very authentic to how wars sure. often go. Like, oh, we're, we're reaching a point where we have understanding. Nope, now we've misinterpreted each other, blah, blah, blah. Or, we, you know, um, so, you know, there's this thing, but we get to a point where, you know, yes, there have been costs that people have had to pay. Um, the You know, obviously, uh, Patrick losing his sister in the sense that, you know, she, she goes to the mainland and, and leaves him and she's no longer kind of going to be there as an anchor for him. Um, losing Dominic who, you know, had been sort of a, I don't know how to say that, like almost like a surrogate, a replacement there um, coming into Patrick's life uh, in a bigger way as Colm had left it. But then these two men where they're left, it's it's a very ambiguous space. Like what what is it that like, I mean, they've both lost, you know, lost an animal, lost a home. Lost, yeah. And where are they now? You know what I mean? And, and, and lost, lost the fingers, lost the ability to perform the, in, the, the instrument that seemed to be lost at sister. least what part of his reason for wanting to do, separate. You know uh -huh. what I mean? It's just, it, nobody comes out good. Right. <laughs> nobody comes out in a better spot. Um, we've learned about human relationships, I think, but it doesn't give you just a, a, a pat answer about yeah. how you're supposed to feel about you that. You know, I'm going to go along with what you said. It's senseless points of view that lead to senseless violence mm -hmm. and not even like even a stalemate because both people have lost so much by the film is over that it could exactly be what you're talking and about. And so deeply believable because we see people behave these ways. And as much as it feels wrong, like you're saying, Joe, like, you know, he deserves an explanation on, on many levels, you know, he deserves more than what Brendan Gleeson Colm is, is willing to give him. Right. Um, but what you deserve and what you get isn't the same thing. True, you know what I mean? True, like yeah. the, the reality is, is that things are fairly equal and just and fair. And what what you actually see go down is is much more like this. And that these characters are so fully lived in. I mean, there's reason that Farrell, I mean, Farrell is just amazing in, in this. I have to say, Brendan Gleeson, absolutely as yeah. well. The, like these two guys... I could watch them do almost anything and mm -hmm. I'm going to, and I'm going to love it. I mean, Farrell is having such an amazing year. If you think about the Batman, yeah. um, which we saw earlier this year, mm -hmm. his almost unrecognizable turn yeah. as the penguin. Yep. Fantastic. Looking forward to more of that. I talked coming. about after Yang last week. You, yes. And which I got around to watching. Oh, yeah. good. An yeah. amazing performance. Yeah. I pulled up his filmography. I guess I got to know that a guy named Colin Farrell existed around 2002 when in that year he released Hearts War, yep. Minority Report, and Phone Booth. Yep. But even in those, um, I think Hearts War, wouldn't Bruce Willis in that? Tom Cruise, Maybe. of course, in Minority I I Report. One, I think yes. he was the lead in Phone Booth. He had to, yep. he couldn't get out of the phone booth. It was like speed in a phone booth, yeah, I think. In yeah. a phone. <laughs> 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 uh, and then as I go through here, 2003, several SWAT, Daredevil, keep on going, keep on going. I guess I didn't take him seriously. This is just yeah, my impression yeah. of this actor's work and what's available to him in this on this part of, in this country in until in Bruges, which of course same yep. director, same co-star. And then you know I'm scrolling through, I'm scrolling through Fight Night, Total Recall. Didn't see any of this yeah. because it's you know the Lobster. Okay, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah. the <laughs> killing of a sacred deer. Oh, yeah, yeah, wait yeah. a second. Lanthimos, Where he, he started going? working with yeah. This performance yeah. with Colin Farrell is incredible. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I don't know if it's just he's gotten to a point in his career where he can begin really accepting these. And, and there's plenty of meaty roles that I've yeah, just listed. Yeah, yeah. But I can't wait for the next movie this guy's in. This yeah. has really been his year. And I think this, his performance in this from pain to humor to confusion to 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 grief yeah is just fantastic not yeah. to take anything away from brendan gleason who is also great fantastic but yeah i mean colin farrell seems like he's given more screen time and more two, two weeks in a row that we've had brendan gleason films as I'll, I'll point that out he was in ai remember he was the uh the ringmaster yeah, there at, at the, the flesh, flesh fair yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um it, i love him i mean he just yeah. I, I i can he did, he did saturday night live and it was really funny he did yeah. a good job yeah he's he's incredible and and he's got talented uh kids too dom hall was uh Dom Hall is a uh, is a good one. So yeah. Any, anyway, uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I think this is one that you know. Hey, I would ask this you, is dark, which are... unsettling, and I think it won't probably please everybody. But if you're willing to go with it and you can lock into those performances, I think you'll get a lot. Speaking of O'Harris, listen. Um, <laughs> I would I would ask you which of the two films this week you enjoyed the most. Yeah, but I don't think I should. Okay, because the Bammies are just around the corner. Good point. And I think that we might see. I, some I'm, of the, I'm I'm feeling okay. those pieces I'm, shifting around I'll, as we review these uh, dude, films. I thought I had it locked, ah. and and, and, I, and this is the time of the year where we're really yeah, you know yeah, all these yeah. award films are available on streaming, and now we're catching them in the theater and all that because we get to watch films like normal people, and we don't get the cool press screenings and press right, press right. screenings because that's not our market size. Yeah. My my lists are shifting every single time yeah. I see a movie these yeah. days. My lists are shifting. My lists are shifting around. Yeah, I, it's I, fine. I, can Weird Al stay in the top five? All right, O'Hara's Irish Stout. We've done Guinness prior, and this is all our second beer from Ireland. God, They're very like, similar I, in in. I feel like I just wandered into the pub. Yeah, on the Isle of Inishirin, mm-hmm. and stepped up to the bar and asked the barkeep, "Give me a stout." It would be a lot warmer than this, David. Yeah, you're probably right, yeah. especially in 1923. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, but nonetheless, nowadays <laughs> that pub would probably have refrigerated a CO2 lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I would get something very close to this, yeah. and it would feel exactly like. I mean, I I love a good stout, and we're in that time of year here where finally it's feeling somewhat appropriate to be drinking these darker, heavier beers. Um, you you initially Joe said like ooh four point three right four point three uh-huh. this might not be hefty enough the flavors there yeah I mean this is a rich it's it, you know akin to Guinness but but I think it has um I really I think on after hours actually I do have a Guinness in the fridge we'll pull that out and maybe drink it and, oh, okay. and we can also, reflect I'm gonna back save on this. I'm gonna save this then I'll yeah, go side by side yeah. Um, because I think this is very close, but I do think there's something distinct about it. I think this, there's a little bit more sweetness here maybe than I'm remembering with Guinness and, and I'll be excited to try it side by side in a moment to, to test that theory. But nonetheless, I, I think that this is a very nice, uh, version of the Irish stout and one that I would happily, uh, have in my fridge at any time to, uh, to, be able to escape to Ireland. Quick, quick Wikipedia. The Carlo Brewing Company, also known as O'Hara's Brewing Company, is an Irish craft brewery located in a place. It is <laughs> one of the largest craft breweries in Ireland. And they're putting stuff out like um, Celtic wheat beer, 
they do an IPA. They do several stouts, a Celtic stout, a Druid's brew stout. Ooh. So, I, I you know, if you bought this at a local place yeah. and we have any opportunity to go back to Ireland, as yeah. it were. It would be fun to try some of the other It would styles. be. It really would be. Yeah. I, I think if I went to a bar and I had an O'Hara's and a Guinness, I would order it depending on exactly what I was going for. That yeah. Guinness, I you know, is is, is thicker. It's It's... Well, especially if you get the nitrogen, like no if doubt. If it's on nitro, then I think if it's you, you on got nitro, that smooth. I'm going there. No, I I do too. Yeah. I I will prioritize that. If I'm at a bar and they have like a nice nitro stout, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to go with that because I do like what that does for the body of a stout. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, but this though, in and of itself, straight out, straight out of the bottle without that nitro is. You're right. It's taking me right to the. Uh, pub and in a Sheeran. And and I would happily sit at the table with you and never turn you away, Joe. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I have abandonment issues and don't, don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm not going to pull a comb on you. What a lovely, lovely episode. Uh, next week, have no fear. It won't be just our two voices. Uh, yeah. Our, well, our good friend, Jimmy Wilden's going to join us again. Ooh, to I'm talk. excited to talk with Jimmy again. He's, yeah. he, he, he's got real serious thoughts about film and, yeah. and I can't wait to hear what he's thinking about those films that we're going to do with him. And we're going to do R R R. And we're going to do Decision to Leave. Yes. It is a international fanfare episode as, again, we're trying to cram all these, these award are, films These are films in. that are getting the awards and are getting buzzed about and all that. So we're trying to fit in as many as we can before uh, we, we need to proclaim that's right. our favorites. Yeah. Am I doing the thing where I tell everybody you're where gonna to find do us that. and stuff? That's exactly what you're going to do, Joe. I can't wait to do it because the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation is not in here. You can find us on all of your favorite social media outlets, including Facebook, Beer in a Movie, TX, Instagram at Beer in a Movie, Twitter at Beer Movie Show, and you can join our chat on Discord. The, the way to find that is to search in Discord Beer and a Movie. If that doesn't get you there, continue typing. The conversation continues. Always fun over on our Discord server. And uh, I already mentioned it once, uh, but my daughter might be joining us here in a little while. Patreon.com slash Beer in the Movie Podcast gets you a bonus episode every week. It's only $5, and it's your easiest way to support us in a way to when we need to make a purchase about this or that, we can do that. We really do appreciate it. And while you're listening on your favorite uh, podcast platform, don't leave without rating us, leaving a review. You know how these algorithms work. Make it five stars so that that very important algorithm can do what it do and put us out there as an option for more listeners. You have just experienced another stout filled episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. Music is movement, always going somewhere, shifting and changing and flowing from one note to another. And that movement can tell us more about the way we feel than a million words can. (laughs) 